Welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Greetings and salutations and whatever else, you know, in 45 different languages. Welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. And bonjour to you too, Kevin Philip Aloysius, Eugene Hillier. What a guest we have this week. And it must be said that before we interviewed this gentleman, I was told he is one of the nicest people you will ever come across. And this proved to be true. He is. He's a ripper. He's a character. Uh, Been around the music business for so many years now, it's not funny. Brian Cadd. What a star. What a musician. What a songwriter. Oh, yes. One of the best we've ever produced. I've, uh, I've uh, been playing Caddy's songs on the radio since uh, since I started. So, so mm. 50 years I've, I've been playing his songs on the radio. They're timeless. They still sound as good today as they did when he bought them out in 1973. And uh, he just, he's got a new album out uh, called Dream Train. Uh, we'll talk to him about that. Uh, and, and he's sounding just as good as ever. And uh, he shared with us that uh, as much as he, he loves talking about his music and his backstory, He's a very humble man, actually, but he also really enjoyed the opportunity to talk about food and all the things he likes and dislikes. And you'll hear a uh, a moment when he was uh, speechless, <laughs> one of the few moments in his life, because Caddy's not short of a word, <laughs> uh, he was speechless. You'll find out about uh, all that coming up uh, when we talk to Brian Cat. And the food poll this week, I've got to tell you, is a stinker. Well, yeah, Kevin absolutely is going to hate it, and that's yep. what makes it all the more fun. Oh, well, that's a matter of opinion. (laughs) It's cast your mind back, cast your mind back to uh, 70s uh, dinner parties. The humbled devilled egg, yes, the boiled egg sliced in half with the yolk piped back inside. Do you know why they're called deviled eggs? Well, because they're devilishly delicious. Oh, they are not. (laughs) They they most certainly are not devilishly. (laughs) Well, it depends who you ask. But I find them, um, look, I find them very nostalgic. and Don't uh, don't find them anywhere near me. and you'll you be find. surprised. We got a massive response to oh, this poll. I'm not suggesting for one moment that we didn't get a massive response <laughs> to the poll. I'm just suggesting that the stench of it is still kind of a little overpowering for me. But we'll get to that after we talk to the fabulous Brian Cadd. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Brian, thank you so much for chatting to us. Firstly, how are you keeping these days? I believe you are, are located up in the beautiful sunny climes of uh, the Gold Coast. <laughs> if you were here today, you would probably not believe that description. Huh? We feel I feel like we're in, in a Canada or somewhere. I mean, it's just absolutely raining and <laughs> flooding and all that sort of stuff. But, yes, in broad terms, yes, I am. And normally the sun is out beautiful. <laughs> and how do you shape up in the kitchen, Brian? I'm not bad. One of the things I regret in my life is that I didn't learn that when I was young enough. It's not you have to be young to be able to cook, but... Uh, you know, my interest was much more in going to, going to a restaurant and ordering something than the concept of cooking at home. But lately I've become more and more interested in it. And I, I must say I do have a handful of dishes that, that work r- rather well. But typically I don't have 30 of them. I just have, you know, a few and so people get sick them after a while. <laughs> but I love it. It's, it's a great liberating experience. After being on the road, you know, for a few weeks, you come back and you whip up a prawn linguine, chili prawn linguine, and it's just fabulous. So prawn linguine, that sounds marvellous. Kevin's jaws already dropped. But what else would be on regular rotation at your place? Oh, I do several bean dishes. I've been... Bean. Uh, I've been... uh, I've lived in places like Santa Fe and New Mexico and Los Angeles and, and other 
ports of call where there's there's a lot of Mexican food and Spanish food, and, that, and that's really influenced me. I'm I think if I made a custard, I'd have chili in it. But <laughs> in fact, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> but but, but, I, but I do love those kind of things. I, I, I um, but but chili itself, the the the, the, the dish chili. Mm. Is, is one of my favourites, and people love that. I also like I do a bunch of baked chicken tacos in the in the oven, oh. and oh, those kind of things, and I, and, I, and a few soups and, and things. But virtually, I suppose you could say that I'm a I'm a cook who loves to look at an empty vessel, then fill it with a whole lot of stuff, and hope it works out. <laughs> are you uh, are you scientific? Are you experimental, or are you you know by the book? <laughs> Oh no, I don't. I can't. I, no, no, I'm, I'm experimental. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I find that that's what the fun is, you know. If you say, "Oh, I don't have any of that," but I've got this, and then you realise that it, it just changes the, the flavour subtly, and and makes for just a slightly different dish. So you can fill some of the people most of the time. That way. <laughs> There's a parallel, I reckon, between cooking and and writing songs and being a musician in terms of the way you kind of you have to juggle things around to make it work. <laughs> Absolutely, it's a great parallel because, as you say, you don't always have everything you want. You can't bother going out to get one little ingredient, and after a while, you learn which ones can substitute for others. And someone is not that dissimilar in the sense that. Um, you, every time you sit down to write a song, you start hopefully with a good idea and maybe a good title, and then it's a question of putting ingredients into. Oh, this mm. is very good. The question of putting <laughs> ingredients into the song that will finish. <laughs> oh, I love it. Which will finish up uh, being a, of a flavour that an audience would consume. Thank you. Oh, we've got a beautiful theme here. We're just going to run with it. Uh, big red what, Mr. Cad? <laughs> That's great. I, I might use that. <laughs> go for it. Let's go back to your days uh, as a boy, Brian, growing up in in uh, Perth. What uh, what are your memories of your, your family life then and, and what was on the table growing up? Oh, uh, I think we, we – well, we came out of – I was born just after the war and my parents were war parents, you know, they been through all that. And it was still, still very basic, I think. It was mostly just whatever produce was around because there wasn't any real, you know, people didn't fly stuff in from Taiwan or, you know, <laughs> uh, bread from Finland. It was always whatever was was on sale or whatever was left. There was a lot of lamb, which there used to be in those days. We were talking about the other night. It used to be such a cheap thing to buy. It really was. So it was mostly that, but I think on balance, we did pretty well because we never really ate anything with preservatives in it or anything like that. It was just all whatever you bought. And because Perth was a relative, it was then a very small city. And most of the people lived on the fringe, on the outside, and that was really almost farmland. Mm. So it was pretty easy to get yourself a bunch of carrots or whatever. But that, they're my earliest memories, and <laughs> they, they were great. And, and I was lucky to have um, – well, my mother was a, sort of adventurous cooking-wise. She, she wasn't a believer in being told much. So her version of it was more about um, – 
you know, I'm going to head in this general direction and, and whatever I finish up with, I'll eat. Yeah. Which, was, which is now I think about it, basically what I do. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah. So, so the cake doesn't fall far from the table. <laughs> That's lovely. You just come up with that then. <laughs> hey, uh, Brian, uh, I mean, reading back over your uh, your bio, it's just so incredible and it would it would seem that from a young age you were considered something of a, uh, I guess, a prodigy. When, when did the songwriting bug sort of bite? Well, it didn't actually come in until I was about 20 years old. I'd been... I've been in bands for really since I was about 13 or 14, um, all through school and then after school for a couple of years. And, and back in those days, it wasn't really the thing, you know. Most people uh, did covers of things. So whatever was big on the charts, which were in the majority of cases, the English and American, um, we all did those. On a Saturday night, there were about five bands on during the night you had to be really careful so you didn't all play the same three songs. <laughs> and, but gradually, and I'm really proud of Australia here in that instance because quite early in our rock and roll development, or in our rock development, um, we started with some quite unusual writers. I mean, no one would ever say that a loved one's loving man. Is that what it was called? Yeah, ever loving man. Ever loving man. Ever loved man, or what, what the big hit was? What was the big hit? The loved one. Yeah, the loved one. No one could ever say in a million years that either of those songs were by the book. You know, they never they never came out of the Brill Building, and and I, I think that they were a product of. If you were doing the same thing in New York, you'd be going into a New York studio, and there'd be New York producers and, and New York record companies, and you'd be. Whether you liked it or not, you really had to fashion yourself a bit more like they wanted. Well, it was here. Most of the people who produced the records here and the engineers and the very basic studios were sort of learn-as-you-go kind of things, which suited us much better because we could come up with a lot more varied fare, so to speak. Um, if you look at a, a, a record like The Real Thing, was Russell's, you know, Russell's Real Thing, that would never happen anywhere else in the world. I don't think that was just such a bizarre record, and <laughs> it was a massive hit. But you know, the bizarre, the bizarre, the fabulousness of the idea, which is so obtuse, most people can't tell you what I can't tell you what it really means. I don't even think Russell can tell you what it really means. <laughs> nah, but, no, I didn't. No, but it didn't matter back then. And then to let that lunatic Molly in <laughs> with basically a free hand. It, I mean, it was just. <laughs> was a recipe, how am I doing? Yeah. It was a recipe for <laughs> either disaster or brilliance, and I think it erred towards brilliance. Yeah, and that right. wouldn't have happened any other period of history, I don't think. What was the first song that you wrote that got played on the radio, Brian? Oh, not the first song that I got played on the radio. Um, oh, it was Woman, You're Breaking Me. Oh. Which was, and it was the first song I ever wrote, and... And, and I only wrote it by accident in the sense that this is typical of the era that we were signed to CBS and um, well, the group was signed to CBS and we don't, Ronnie Charles and I had only just joined them and they had a couple of real good songwriters already and I, I loved the whole idea of it but I had no clue how to do anything and uh, so the, the, the producer rang from Sydney and said, Okay, divide up into teams and, and I'll come down next week and listen to what you got and we'll pick a single. 
So the people who knew how to do it went to one place and the drummer and I <laughs> went to his garage. We didn't have a clue. We didn't know what we were doing. And we started just fooling around and he sort of tick, 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 and uh, fidget nothing, no reason that I can think of. Now I went down, down, we had the beginning of Woman You Break Me. But the great thing was that when, we, when the bloke came down and they trotted out their ones, they sounded like the enemy and they weren't, but we were so intimidated. And they said, anyone else? And we went, oh, we've got one. And uh, they looked a bit doubtful. <laughs> anyway, we played our one and sang our one, and the guy said, oh, no, that's a single, which, which you know, was such a shock. Uh, and then even more importantly, the fact that it got to the top ten in Australia, was, that was the first song we ever wrote. And I thought, wow, this is a year one of that bits. <laughs> and it took me, took me quite a while to get another one. But, but the experience was fabulous and, and life-changing, obviously. Yep. Brian, are the people who come to you today and, and talk about your work and, and the songs, are there, is there one song more than others that uh, comes up in conversation? Well, it's usually two songs. It's either it's either Ginger Man, which everyone, you know, comes up and says, Oh, I love that song, I remember it came out, I bought it and da 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 thing. And then there's a pause and they'd say, What's it really about? <laughs> <laughs> this is after fifty years. And when I explain to them, I don't think they're any wiser really. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a difficult story and one I'll see from and the other one is Little Ray of Sunshine, and I think the reason that is, oh, I know the reason that that is, is that it connects with so many people who say to me, oh, you know, when our little Gloria first came out of the hospital, that played on the radio. And you go, yeah, right. And I don't know how many thousands of times I've heard that in my life. So my theory is, Kev, <laughs> that there is a radio network that only broadcasts outside maternity wards <laughs> and only plays that song. Uh, and, so right? they, and so they should. So they should. Yes. And if I could find out who it was, I might get some money out of it. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Uh, Kenny, you're on the road, dude. You've got a new album coming out called Dream Train. You've got a, a single that's terrific called uh, You Know What to Say. Uh, and it sounds to me like you're still loving it every bit as much as, as ever. Oh, yeah. I did three months playing golf and gave it up. <laughs> There's nothing – I can't garden and, you know, anything physical much. So, it's, no, the real truth is that I don't know what I do after nearly 60 years. What, what else could I do? I mean, I, I think about it. And, and truly, at the end of the year, I say to the managers, you know, I think I might cut down a bit next year, you know, I'm getting on a bit. <laughs> and they go, yeah, right, and they all smile at each other. And, and sure enough, by about February or March, I'm packing the hairdryer into the case <laughs> and looking for somewhere to play. But thank God I've still got a hairdryer. But, <laughs> but, but it, so I think the, the reality is that we get so, we're so involved in this industry, aren't we? It's like a very, it's a very intense industry. You've either got to do it intensely and very focused, or you don't. You don't last in it. You know, if you drift off and do other things, then pretty soon the industry drifts away from you. And the ones that have had the longevity have been the ones who've just stayed focused. I guess that's the best way. Yep. And uh, that's that's the thing that drives me, and it will as long as I can. I don't have to stand up; I can sit down and play the piano. So. 
Maybe if I can make it to the piano still, I will. <laughs> hey, uh, Brian, we talk a lot about uh, coffee on this show because Melburnians think we do the best coffee in the world. Are you a coffee drinker and what kind of what are the offerings like up on the Gold Coast? God, I wish you had nice because I'm one of the few people that will say, I drink tea. Oh. I mean, I don't <laughs> I don't mind. I like. I mean, I love coffee, and I'm happy to drink it any time. And we have, you know, an inordinately large number of coffee places by you know by per capita, as we do everywhere in Australia. And people will, you know, be on the road and they say, "Oh, if you're going down past Coffs, you know, get to Yamba." And on the main street, there's the thing that don't know, it's the best coffee in New South Wales. And and that conversation happens a real lot. And so I think that Australia went from when I was a kid, you just had tea or shut up. And <laughs> and now it's like, you know, people argue incessantly and intensely about two different coffee coffee places. I think it's fabulous. And what I love is when when. You start, uh, Americans come here, you know, and you can imagine that this, uh, why would we get great coffee in Australia? They only drink beer. And then they spend a week in Sydney or Melbourne or any of the capitals and they come out of it going, oh, my God, that coffee's the best thing about it. It is. I'm very proud. Yeah. Do you have a sweet tooth, Caddy? Yeah. I'm in a state of a perpetual state of denial <laughs> because I'm one of these, one of these people – that can't have one of anything. Mm. I mean, if, if I love it, I, I just have to stay away from it. So the, the concept of chocolate brownies for me oh. is, is, is something I don't really know because I can't open the jar because I have to eat them. So, but I do love sweet things, and uh, I think I, there's not any way I could walk past the tiramisu. Oh. Um, <laughs> yep, yep. You know? So, yes, and the reason for the question was uh, – are you a sweet tooth? Oh, oh me, I'm shocked. Kevin, Kevin loves chocolate and mint as a combination. Oh. So your mint slices or your mint Tim Tams or your yep. Aero bars. Yep. Oh, you're nothing with any amaretto in it or anything like that? No. See, that's, no, not that's as much, the other no. thing. No, that's the other thing that I'm a sucker for. All of those fabulous drinks that involve all those chalky bits and. <laughs> And, you know, those things, lemoncello and what. See, now I've blown it, haven't I, because I've, I've got us over on the drinks table again. See, now it's in our minds. We're not going to be able to let go of it. <laughs> Brian, if- no, you're going to rush out after this and go, we need lunch now. Well, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking about a tiramisu. I haven't had one of those for no, a while. I think I. I need to find a good one. If it wasn't so difficult to make, <laughs> I, I think I might, I might delve a bit more into into desserts, but, but then there's the danger, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you're you make them a favourite thing. Mm. Yeah, because you're first. You're there when it comes out of the oven. <laughs> there's no one around. You've got to take one for the team. <laughs> That's right. Like, well, I know it looks like it's cut in half, but the, that other side sunk and it didn't, yes. it didn't work. <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh, Brian, look, a question, I guess, without notice. If, if you were to hold a, uh, a dinner party and you were to make a beautiful, um, you know, prawn linguine for your guests and you could invite anybody you liked, dead or alive, who'd be at your dinner table? Oh, what a fabulous question. Dead or alive? That's hard. <laughs> um, I don't know. It would be – it would because you don't really think of musicians particularly as – Terribly, you know, as foodies, 
So it probably wouldn't be Jimmy Page or someone like a Rinko. Yeah. It would it'd probably be. I, I, I mean, I'd have a go with Salvador Dali, oh. but that's only because I'd want to see what he ordered. Um, <laughs> if, uh, you know what I mean? But I would never, I don't think I'd ever, oh, no, 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 I think about it. Maybe I would ask a chef, you know, like a Shannon Bennett, who I think does wonderful things. Yeah. I, I'd certainly like to be invited to his place. Mm. But, but um, I, I think that Judy Dench is one of the most interesting people in the world, and I'd be very happy to, to have a meal with her. Yeah. Have you ever met anyone over the years that's, that's you know, made you speechless, or is that uh, sort of something you've never suffered from in, <laughs> when, you've been, when you've met some of those big names, like the, the Ringo stars of the world? What do you mean? I'm normally very, very quiet, Kevin. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> uh, yes, I did once, and it was the strangest thing. It was in Brisbane, and uh, and I, I was about 72 or 73, and I, and I had ginger and things like that in the charts. And, and it was an Elton John concert, and Molly was there, and he saw me in the box, and he said, oh, you've got to come and meet Elton. I said, oh, well, you know, I don't want to interrupt when he was just about to go. And he said, oh, no, he loves it. Go, come with me. You know what Molly's like. Yep. So we went down and we into the dressing room and there he's sitting there, you know, looks like a, a gondola. He's got sparkly things all over the place. <laughs> just sensational. And he looks up and gives me a smile and, and Molly said, oh, I, I just saw to interrupt, but I just need you to meet Brian Cat. Now, Brian Cat is sort of like the equivalent of you in Australia. And I'm standing there with old jeans and cowboy boots <laughs> and, and a torn T-shirt and a d- denim jacket and a beard and longer hair all over the place. And he just looked at me and he smiled. He said, oh, really? And you can imagine him being not in a million years. <laughs> and I couldn't think of anything to say. I said, pleasure to meet you. <laughs> and I ran out right there. Nothing happened. So we left. <laughs> that is a fabulous story. <laughs> oh, that's a classic. Hey, mate, the new single, you know what You know what to say. When did you write that? That one was written a few years ago. See, that's the thing. I've been writing country songs since, you know, the 70s, yeah. 60s, really. And so every now and again I'd be involved with somebody who was a great country writer. I lived in Nashville for about five years, and I, and I think I wrote it about that period uh, in its original form. And so when the album came about, I you know, had a bit of a rearrange and changed a few bits and pieces. Uh, but essentially the idea is, is quite a few years old. And... I don't think that that matters at all. I don't think you necessarily need to record things that you wrote yesterday afternoon. You know, a good song is a good song. And sometimes you know, I have a good song draw. Oh. <laughs> Every writer does. Uh, like you have a good good recipe draw. Yep. Well, I have a good song draw, and I put them in there, and I go, you know, that it's not your time. It'll be your time, and when you, I'll truck you out like a new child, <laughs> and uh, you'll have your moment. And when we started to talk about doing the album as a country album, there was a lot of people in the drawer, a lot of songs in the drawer that went, pick me, pick me. Mm -hmm. And and that was one that when we finished it, because I think it just has that, it's it's very commercial, but it also has a sort of a lilting sing-along chorus that people just started singing even in the studio. So we thought, well, we'll give that a go. It was a single, but 
it's it's doing well. People are really liking it. And I've no, got a lot good. of good reviews. No, so that's good. something. And the uh, the album Dream Train's out on the fifth of April, so uh, we look forward to that. And Brian, yes, come on board. Coming to a train. Coming. You ready? Coming to a station near you. Ah, very good. <laughs> Brian, just to uh, to finish up, we usually like to ask our guests if they have a kitchen tip or a cooking tip to share. Do you have one of those? Uh, um, mm. yes. Yeah. When you do the when you do the um, prawn linguine. I don't cut. I don't cut my onions and and uh, capsicums and and peppers and things. I don't cut them up as minuscule. There's a lot of you know. A lot, they always say, "Oh, finely chop." Mm. Well, I'm not a fine chopper, and I like being able to pick up the the, the, the shrimp and when it's in the sauce and have little bits of onion and stuff mm. clinging to it. Yes, that's. I don't know whether it's, and there's probably you know any any number, including Shannon Bennett, any number of chefs would roll over and hit me with something, but that's just something I like doing. Chunky is good. Yeah, I love it. I must <laughs> have some. I must have some real Tuscany in me somewhere. I reckon you do. Uh, good on you, Caddy mate. Thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Good luck with uh, Dream Train, the album, and the and the tour, and uh, and uh, been lovely speaking with you and catching up. Thank you. Oh, for both of you, thanks very much for the help. And it was such a pleasure to do a show that wasn't only about music. It was great. <laughs> now I'm, I'm, I'm so hungry, I'm going out to an early lunch. <laughs> As are we. <laughs> As are we. Go on, you caddy. Take care, mate. Bye. See you guys. Bye. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. There he is. What a character. What a good bloke. And we're going to finish. We're going to play a little bit of his uh, new single just to finish the what show. What an enjoyable interview that yeah, was. good fella. Thank you, Brian. If you get the chance to see him live, he's uh, he's even more devil, devilishly funny <laughs> live, which brings me... A in. nice segue, Kevin, to the uh, deviled egg. So I know Kevin can take his eggs any way except boiled <laughs> because Kevin's philosophy is if they're boiled, they stink, but any other way they don't. I don't know how that works, but apparently it's true. But we had a huge reaction to the deviled eggs. Very popular at your 70s dinner party. And wonderful Daniel Harford from RSN is going to start us off. And he says, absolutely love them, more of it. Lena Massetti says, deviled eggs are the best. Patricia, no, not really for me. Terry Daniel says, oh, yummo, I love them. David Burt says, God, no way for a 70s-themed dinner party. Give me devils on horseback or a tinned oyster on a Savoy (laughs) or toothpicks with cubed cheese, cabana and cocktail onions, but not these fart-laden bombs. Not a fan of boiled egg on a Sanger either. Well, you sound just like Kevin. Yes. Old Crokey (laughs) says, oh, look, yes, these are good. I've upgraded mine to include wasabi. Mayo and a splash of soy, oh. finishing it off with a sprinkle of chives. <laughs> Kevin, you can score mine with a thick texture in the yes column. Wow, that's a resounding yes from old Crokey. Rebecca says, yay. And I think I have figured out how to make them vegan. There you go. There's a, there's a project. Uh, it's a yes from me, says Silvana. Rob Elliott says, ooh, still yes, and I make a mean batch. Muriel Cooper <laughs> says, yay, I love them. Mark Quinn says, can't beat the smell of a deviled egg. I agree, Mark. Before it goes in or <laughs> when it comes out. Not sure about that. Stephen Quartermain says, only a yes if you dial the time machine back to 1972. <laughs> Lauren says, 
There are very few ways I like eggs. Deviled eggs are so far down the list. You'd have to scroll like you're looking for the 80s or earlier when inputting your birthday to see it. <laughs> yeah. So what's your birthday? Yeah, yeah, when we pick ours or yours in particular, oh, you have oh, to go... Oh, so- hang on a minute. <laughs> the this, deepest depths of the earth. <laughs> this poll could turn very nasty, this one. Uh, Roz says nay. Glenn Rodder says, well, Pado, I can't say I have tried these. If I have, I was probably uh, <laughs> Christa's a picket. <laughs> I was Christa's a picket and I had the devil legs. Uh, Andrew says, uh, popular in the NT still, definitely a yes. Up in the territory, eh? Yeah. Kathleen says, my mum makes them for me every Christmas. Oh, I think we should add that to our Christmas Day menu. Maybe not. A big yay from me. I love them mashed the next day on toast for breakfast. Oh, Kevin, it just gets oh, better. It gets worse. Davin says, I haven't seen these for years, but it's a definite yes from me. <laughs> Deborah says, yay, with mashed potatoes wrapped in Devon on the side. Oh, I may lose Yum. you in a minute. Sharon says, look, I love them. Old-fashioned me makes them regularly. Michelle Mostert says, "You no thanks and lots and lots of vomit emojis. Miss Sandy Crack says, uh, for nostalgic reasons, yes. Alex, who's a popular French guy on uh, YouTube, made a French version recently with just mayonnaise. Oh, yes. Yum. Jim Wilson says, nay. You can put lipstick on the pig so many times. <laughs> um, and Mark Stevens says, look, it's a massive yay from me. My nan did the best ever in New Mirka. Oh, goodness, up Shepparton Way. I love it when we get a nan moment on the food poll. Yeah, we've gone, we've gone from New Mirka to the Northern Territory with this poll. We've moved around, uh, but uh, the flatulence still lingers. Oh. Uh, the, the no votes, oh, don't tell me it doesn't happen. That's what they smell. Uh, the no votes, 25%, but yes, 75%. Sure. Can we get a scrutiny? In. Kevin, I think that's a fallacy about the smell. It's a little bit about like your um, your no. feelings about when it comes to eating asparagus and what no. that does to you after you eat it. I think oh, that's a that's fallacy as well. As well. No, it's not no, fact. It's not proven. Facts. And I'm not doing it. I'm not doing a, a, a demo run like a Peter talk. Now, Peter, remember Peter Warren had that talk program. T O R Q. People would write in about what cars did, so he'd then get the car and take it and show people. What did. I'm not. He'd having, road test it. Yes. Yeah, I'm not devil. I'm not road testing uh, deviled eggs or asparagus anytime soon. Yeah, one thing I can say is banned for good in this house is asparagus as Absolutely. far as Kevin's concerned. But 75% but yeah, no, yes No, that doesn't surprise d- me because yeah, you have to admit, Kevin, even though you might not like the smell or the taste, they look pretty amazing, don't they? Well, if Very artistic. If you love the 70s, you, you must have loved Brian Cadd because he was such a huge star in the 70s. He's going to play a little bit of Caddy's new single. Uh, you know what to say to finish us off. Mm. Uh, no lingering <laughs> smells with any of that. It's... <laughs> I can't even st- – when I walk into the kitchen and you've got boiled eggs, I just – it just it does something, I don't know. The more the better. Oh, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this edition of uh, Food Bites with Stinky Patterson <laughs> over here and Kevin Hillier. Here's Caddy. You know what to say. A little bit of him to finish us off.